Welcome everybody to the Spawn of Me podcast. I am your host, Khalif Adams. This is episode 160 of our show. And I am joined this week and every week with my man, my mellow, the smooth kind of fellow, the man who makes mini froze look good, who makes NASA look good, who makes STEM look good, who makes gaming looks good, who makes Serena's pregnancy look good. Sharif Jackson of SharifJackson.com. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. I wish I could make Serena's pregnancy look good, man. <laughs> Oh, have you ever been pregnant while you were doing while you while you doing STEM? Well, I can say that I stayed home when I hurt my finger like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> like I was kind of like I ain't going nowhere. I gotta let this thing heal. So <laughs> the fact that Serena's out there winning tournaments, um, you know, while pregnant. Um, I mean, I I I mean, I I think there's a strong argument for her being the greatest athlete. Like period, like not not greatest female athlete, not greatest right. tennis player, but this 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 is just going to levels of of absurdity at this point. Like she's just I, incredible. I mean, a, a big and usually I'm not one to start off a show with a middle finger to to folks, but a big middle finger to GQ magazine <laughs> for putting Robert Federer on the freaking cover, talking about the greatest athlete of all time when Serena Williams has been busting the ass. Since she had Dookie braids. Yeah. So you got to give her the props she absolutely deserves. She needs all the props, actually. So shout out to GQ for being whack. 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 Super whack. Um, Re- oh, not Reef. Uh, C is not with us this week. Uh, so that means we will not get our usual uh, talk about death in the first 10 minutes of the show. Um, That's right, no. we, will not, we will not have someone discuss how someone died from some random old slavery maneuver uh, in the first part of the show. Um, so that's great. See, you know, we miss you. We love you. Uh, we'll see you on 161. Um, and again, you know, shout out to everyone who listened to, last, to the last episode. Reef killed it. I you know what you know when I'm not on the show I get to have the pleasure of listening to what we get to do when C or, or Reef are or, or hosting or when they're hosting in tandem and I absolutely loved the Zeldam episode I was pumping my fist in my workplace like yo my boy Reef killed it so so everyone thank you for listening to that show and Reef thank you so much for for concepting that show out because that was a lot of fun that was super yeah cool. man i just want i want to take it in a different direction like you know when you're doing a show by yourself it's really hard to just report news and talk for an hour and a half so i was like I, yeah <laughs> so i was like i gotta do something different and you know obviously i've done the rhyme right shows on operation cubicle feed that kind of deep dived mm-hmm. into a a, a specific album and i was like i can combine this with video games and i've been thinking about zelda and both kendrick's i was like let me just mix these together and just make it happen and and the feedback has been great and you know it's one of those shows where i've gotten feedback from people that i have never commented on a show on my show before even though like the people i know in real life and they see all my posts but this was the one that they chose to comment on so i so you know, I think it did reach, you know, some folks that might not have normally listened to the show. And I think that's awesome. I mean, I think it's interesting because it, it shows the power of music, right? Where we get to see uh, people be able to pull in things that don't, don't necessarily always kind of touch upon and listen to and, and focus on and get to mash those things up. So you did a great job of, of pulling those two worlds together. And again, it, it just tells you just how dope Zelda is and how dope the new Kendrick album is where you get to mash those things up and they fit so well. So again, shout out to you. You get to you get the hat tip and, and, and the Kung Fu bow on, nice. on one on 159 for that. Nice. Um, Thank you. Word. 
Uh, so this week we have a real dope host, uh, real dope host, real dope guest. You know what? You're in the third chair, so fuck it. You're a host. <laughs> you're a host this week. Um, I met this. I met this brother at a random work after work event uh, when I was working at my old job at Idealist, and uh, a, a coworker of mine was like, "Hey, you need to go meet this guy. He does he does gaming stuff too." So it was funny because when people who don't know about video games, they use gaming stuff right as the overarching term. So that could be anything. That could have been anything. That could have been board games. That could have been badminton. That could have been highlight. That could have been, you know, s- snooker. Right, I, it could have been anything. Play, uh, I play a little bit of backyard croquet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm a croquetist. A little croquet-ist. bit of a little bit of petonk. <laughs> that was a good Cosby Show episode. Anyway, um, and we met and we started to chat because we were both in the video game industry. We were both folks who were trying to do the journalism thing. I was trying to do it at the time and still trying to figure that out. Um, and we had a great conversation just about, you know, where we're from and, and, and how we're kind of trying to trying to angle ourselves in the industry. Um, and I've been so impressed with with uh, this gentleman's work and all the stuff that he's been doing since we've met, you know, post that and being able to kind of see him uh, do his thing in the space. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Bricago. Josh Boykin from Intelligame. Brother Josh, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm uh, I'm doing well. Uh, Bricago is a, is lovely this time of year. Nice, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely all year, but it We're, is it. I consider it a, a privilege to to be on the show. I appreciate the invite. Man, we got we had to get you on. It was one of those things when I was like, we got to have Josh on because Josh has a really interesting way to kind of look at the space from both being kind of like you know on the periphery, but also in it. It's like one of those weird things where you have a person who wears so many different hats and when you wear a lot of different hats you get so many different perspectives on the industry and how things kind of work inside of it and outside of it yeah um you know let people know if they haven't been paying attention to intelligame about where you started talk about a little bit you know where you're from and give some folks in Chicago who may not be as familiar with their work a little bit of background on you yeah sure so uh uh man where to start uh i was born in a small log cabin <laughs> Well, in the beginning, yeah. I was forged uh, in Mordor, <laughs> in the fires of Mount Doom. Uh, but no, I'm from uh, I'm from Northern Illinois originally, and uh, I was uh, raised in uh, Rockford, it's a city about 150,000 in Illinois. Uh, out here on the on the west coast, everybody thinks that's cornfield country, and it's. Uh, and the cornfields are outside of Rockford, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been. Uh, you know, I, I honestly, I've, I grew up loving games. Um, I can remember playing uh, Street Fighter Two on my uncle's Super Nintendo to the point where I got, I blistered out my thumbs, like I couldn't hold. I've been there because <laughs> I, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do the uh, the Hadouken, and mm-hmm. there was no internet yet, or, or there was internet, but I wasn't getting anything with it, and the Super Nintendo control. Anyway, point of the story. Uh, I've been playing games for a long time, and uh, I always really cared about the stories that were in games. So um, I've been writing about games since 2009. I used to write for a site called 411 Mania, and then I got picked up by uh, another site called Got Game. I'm still writing for them as uh, the senior editor there. But I uh, I wanted to have a I wanted there to be a space where. It, it wasn't just the typical like news reviews editorials. I think there's a place for that uh, for that kind of coverage and commentary. But I wanted there to be a space where I wouldn't 
have to double check whether or not it was okay for me to write about feeling unsafe playing Pokemon Go or walking into a board game store and not seeing any black faces. And I was just like, well, uh, it would probably be easiest for me to feel comfortable if I just started my own site. So uh, so I launched IntelliGame in September of 2015. And uh, it's a, I, I call it a, a game culture and criticism site um, dedicated to finding intersections between games and society. Mm-hmm. So um, it tends to be, or it has tended to be long form essays. Um, and it varies from, you know, I specialize in video games, but, um, you know, I've done some stuff about card games and board games, that kind of stuff too. Um, lately, IntelliGames has been moving into a bit of streaming. We stream every Thursday for a program we call Let's IntelliPlay. And uh, that gives us uh, a little bit of an opportunity to play a game and kind of connect it to either what's happening in society or to talk, you know, a little bit more from an analytical perspective about where, you know, how, how storylines have worked out, that kind of thing. We played through uh, Valiant Hearts, The Great War, which is nice. one of my top 10 games of all time. I, nice. I adore that game. Love that um, game. And we also played through Broken Age, which uh, I liked a lot better the second time around. Um, and did a little bit of uh, Orion uh, Legacy of the Coriodon, which mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty dope. So it's been, you know, it's it's been good to do that. And I've also been working on a number of other projects. I run a group uh, here out of Portland called Twitch PDX. And it's a uh, organization of, uh, of Twitch streamers who... Uh, well, not just streamers, but people who are just kind of interested in the video game community. And I've got another project that um, that may be coming up pretty soon. But I I stay busy. I stay busy. Okay. Um, so so like in sort of the pre IntelliGame when when your fingers were blistered out from Street Fighter, um, <laughs> did like you have some other kind of favorites that you know that you had kind of growing up that kind of inspired you to you know to continue. Um, you know, like a writing about games and like things like that. Oh yeah. Um, so I gave, I can still remember the like weird looks on my classmates face when like we were supposed to find a, uh, this was either, I think this was, this was sophomore year of high school. <clears throat> no, junior year of high school. And we were supposed to find like an excerpt from a book or, um, like from a book or a movie or something that we wanted to analyze. Mm-hmm. And I took the, uh, the initial bedroom scene in Final Fantasy IV. Like, I loaded it up on an emulator. Can I talk about emulators here? Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. So As long as you have the, as as you have the ROMs, right. then sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I uh, loaded up an emulator with a with a, a legal copy of a ROM nice. or a cart that I already own. I love it. Love um, it. Because that's the only way that you should be using an emulator. Uh, so I, I loaded up, a, so I got a copy of Final Fantasy IV. And, um, well, it was Final Fantasy 2 because it's on the Super Nintendo, right? But um, the scene where uh, Cecil, for, for folks who aren't familiar with Final Fantasy 2, 2-4, uh, it's about this guy named Cecil. He is a dark knight in the employ of, uh, of the king. And he ends up uh, going through this mission that is, is they end up bo- essentially bombing a town. Yeah. And he's just like, I don't want to do this anymore this is this is terrible like how am i how can i be okay with this i know that i'm in the service of the king but i don't think what i'm doing is right and so it's about sort of his mission to to obtain redemption for what he's gone through and he ends up meeting a number of other people along the way who help him on his quest shout uh, out to Ridia. 
one yeah. of my favorite characters. No, Rydia is super dope. Um, uh, Rosa is uh, <clears throat> Rosa is Cecil's love interest, and there's a scene near the beginning where uh, Cecil returns from a mission, and they've taken this crystal from this like innocent city. And he just feels like a terrible person and is like, I don't know what to do. And Rosa is like, well, the Cecil I know wouldn't just roll over and act like a bitch. Um, <laughs> that wasn't in the Nintendo that, that was the That was the original Final <laughs> Fantasy edit. That was, those were the original lyrics. And then they edited it to Spoonie Bard. Um, but so anyway, there's this exchange there where Cecil is like, to be you know to be a teenager and to see this connection between these two um these two people where it's like rosa is cecil's rock this is this is how he finds that like that reinforcement you know that that affection of like having a a strong partner to bring you back Mm. um and i was just like this is this is really compelling this is amazing and it's in a video game um And it was like, even with me saying that and showing it on the screen, people just didn't get it. I think it was because they were watching 16-bit sprites and were just like, well, that's kind of dumb. So I've always wanted to find ways to highlight story and character development and the narratives that take place in games and show people like, hey, these are... This is worth paying attention to. These are plots. These are characters, stories as deep as anything that you'd get in books, in movies, in, you know, Netflix, miniseries, whatever. Um, and it's been amazing to kind of watch the uh, the art form develop over time and to see, you know, with increased graphics power and larger storage and, you know, just generally more interest in the space um, to see all the different stories that have come up. Um, it's, it's really hard to not want to write about those stories. And also like, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and plug you early. Um, you know, hearing and seeing, uh, media from other people who have that same passion, you know, like hearing you guys talk about mafia three, um, what, what Khalif hadn't said was that when we met at idealist, um, I didn't realize that like, I'd already been following him on Twitter. I had already (laughs) been listening to spawn on me. And so we started talking and he was like, oh, I'm Khalif. And like, we talked for a little bit and I was like, wait a second, are you, wait, I follow you on Twitter. Like I, it, it was weird because yeah. there was just no way to, uh, to have known, but to see other people who are passionate too and make me think like, oh, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe there is something here. Um, that's been really cool. It was like a real life sliding up into someone else's DMs. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> Hi. It's like, what's good? Um, wh- one of the things that I've always wondered about when I meet other folks who, who are really great writers is I, I I know that when I first got into the gaming industry or when I started to kind of think about who were the people who I wanted to, you know, kind of model myself after, I always thought of, you know, N'Gai Kroll and, and Adam Sessler and kind of Brad Shoemaker as far as their writing styles and the way that they alliterate when they when they spoke on camera and things like that. You know, who are some of the folks that when you decided that you wanted to get into this industry that you looked up to and that you kind of wanted to either model yourself after or at least you really admired their work and wanted to, to, to get your stuff out there in that way? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting question. I, I always tell people I'm really bad at I'm really bad at consuming media. Um, mm. And so mm. when I when I got started writing uh, and doing game journalism, I wasn't reading a lot of other game journalists. 
And mm-hmm. so on one hand, it was kind of nice because I, I wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I was trying to match somebody's style. But on the other hand, like you read some of my earlier work, there are places where I'm like, I think my my review for Final Fantasy 13, which frankly I'm still proud of, I think that was like 1,500, 2,000. There were there were a lot more words in that review than there needed to be. <laughs> um, I have a tendency to run a little long. Uh, but I, I think that honestly where I got most of my influence for where I I try to get either like my speaking style or, or the way that I write, I, I got it from a lot of actors. Um, mm. I was always a really big fan of George Clooney and this idea that he's like, He's like the smoothest dude, you know, like <laughs> you you just he you would talk. He would. You couldn't help but listen, you right. know, and he was just like, oh, yeah, no, I would I would totally listen to, to what you have to say. Uh, but I was also really influenced by I had an amazing set of of instructors basically all through. high. I mean, like from elementary school up, but particularly um, in high school. Um, the Long Henrys uh, were, uh, they were a married couple who were uh, my English and uh, social study or like world history, um, Euro history teachers. Mm. And the way that they just encouraged critical thought and like this just way of processing information and saying like, no, maybe you should read it and figure it out yourself. And it was just like, it was the most supportive analytical space that by the time I got to college, you know, a lot of how I wanted to convey myself in my writing was just like, I want people to understand and have the same mindset that I was approached with um, when I went through classes here. And when they, you know, exposed me to new books and said, no, just, you know, read it and you can figure out what I'm trying to say. Um so yeah, it was. I guess I was less inspired by my my game journalists and more inspired by really amazing instructors. My creative writing instructors in uh, in college. I got a minor in creative writing, um, but they were very supportive of me. Just like they said, like you've got your own voice, just use it. And that mm. was uh, that was really really influential to me. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, speaking of your writing, one thing that I've really appreciated that you've sort of been able to verbalize, I think, a lot better than a lot of us have is how difficult it is to write about games and just, I think any kind of entertainment media, Yeah, you know, after the election, uh, you know, after the U S <laughs> per- after the presidential election, I think that you've like been able to write these really thought out, like coherent pieces. Cause if I wrote about it, it would just, it would just be like, blah, 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 blah. Hey, 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 hey I'm done. You know? <laughs> um, so, so, so like I, I, I really appreciate um, how like you've really been able to be really honest with the people that read your site and just really open about, you know, how you feel and like sort of like the struggle with, you know, trying to focus on a passion when sort of the rest of the world is kind of falling around, you know, kind of like falling down around you. So like now, yeah. you, you know, like we're like a couple months into the election well, well, like into the presidency, I should say, um, you know, like we've seen sort of the, you know, what exactly what will probably happen for the rest of the four years. Right. How are you feeling now? Are, are you feeling optimistic, pessimistic? Um, you know, what's, what's your feelings now from uh, when you wrote that original piece in November? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I did. I wrote a piece called uh, It's Hard to Talk About Games Right Now. 
Um, and I honestly, I, it was just, uh, I went through a period where there wasn't a whole lot of critical analysis going on. I wasn't playing a lot of games. I was just stuck on Twitter and Facebook and trying to understand what happened. And I still, to a certain extent, feel like I don't understand what happened. Like, and I, I can come up with some things that make sense because I'm from the Midwest and I didn't realize how different it was until I started living out here in Portland. I was just like, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff that they don't get out here. Uh, but there's a whole lot of stuff that we don't get in the Midwest either. So, <laughs> um, so let's not, let's not pretend somebody's got it right. right. Um, so I think, you know, honestly, every time that I get off stream, I have this thought. Um, and every time I leave a convention, I have this thought where I'm just like, you know, things felt really good for a minute and I'm not sure if that's okay. And that's what, I think that's what scares me is that every time, if I spend four hours in a stream, if I spend two days in a convention, if I go down to San Francisco for GDC and for a hot minute, something feels okay and things feel normal. Am I missing the, the signal, the call, you know, um, the, the, Hey, things got really bad and now we need to switch gears. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's this, uh, particularly for marginalized folks. And I think that's the reason why it was the, the election was so, um, was so shocking to so many folks, uh, you know, to so many particularly white folks out there, um, was because it enacts this state of hypervigilance that hmm. you're constantly like, you know, and, and, and a lot of us folks, you know, people of color or, you know, um, trans folks or, or people in the LGBT community, like, are used to having this, this heightened sense of awareness, right? This idea of mm. like, I'm not sure if things are completely safe. I need to evaluate these situations. I need to figure out where people stand. Um, and I think that after the election, everybody got to that point. It was just like, oh, wait a second. Like... <laughs> You know, because and and to be honest, you know, I I told people I was like, I got a lot of a lot of friends, a lot of white folks who like were like, I found out that my dad voted for Trump. I found out my uncle voted for Trump, you know, and like I that's one place where I was like, I got I've got maybe one family member who I think one time I heard him say, well, Trump's a good businessman. I was like, we can't have the rest of this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Cut, cut, cut. Time out. So. Um, so yeah, it's hard for me because on one hand I do, I'm, I'm excited by the amount of, uh, the amount of, uh, the number of woke folks that I've seen since, since the election, right? The number of people who now understand that there is something to pay attention to, um, and, and that there are these issues that we need to react to, you know, it's, it's galvanized or activated a community, but, um, there's also a part of me that's just like, you know, if I'm not writing about games, if I'm not playing games, if I'm not telling my stories, if I'm not providing these opportunities for other people to tell their stories, if I'm not saying, hey, you're playing Persona 5 and Persona 5 is talking about, um, you know, these these fighting against these uh, restrictive societies and mm-hmm. hey, maybe you should think about this connection. If I'm not having those discussions they're they're silencing me just like they would any other way they're the one they win 
Right. And so that's where I'm, I'm trying to remind myself, like, you have to stay in it. You have to, even if, you know, you say that you're just talking about games, but I mean, this, these conversations change lives and they change my life. So I have to, I have to go from the perspective that me doing this could be what activates somebody else and gives them their chance to, to be successful, to find fulfillment, to, uh, to move forward and it's it's a hard struggle because it does a lot of times just feel like just video games but I, I yeah yeah it's rough it's interesting um because i just had a flashback to the election night yeah <laughs> and, and we have friends over at the house and it was <sighs> it was it was so funny to see and i hadn't seen this in a long time where you have like the matched level of fuck uh-huh where it was like, oh fuck, you like you like I'm so used to white people having unreasonable levels of fear. When they start having reasonable levels of fear, and that that match mine, I'm like, oh shit, something's something real wrong. Something's real not okay. Um, you talked about it a little bit about convention stuff, and it's funny because like, I, you know, we'll, we'll wind up at a convention together, and I'm like, oh shit, Josh, yeah. what up? What up? <laughs> um, and. I know I have my personal favorites. Do you have any personal favorites, like conventions you like to go to? Because I've seen, you know, you went to GDC, uh, you've been to TwitchCon, you've been to, to BetaCon, you've been to NerdCamp, which was here in Portland. Mm-hmm. Do you have any favorites? To, and, and, and if you do, which ones and why? Yeah. Um, I mean, I love um, I love going to conventions because I, I, love, I love it when games build community. And conventions right. are just like, hey, we're going to take games and we're going to make this little temporary community and everybody's going to show up and, and love their game. You know, I went to, when I went to PAX West last year for the first time or PAX prime um, up in Seattle, I was just mind blown at the just sheer <laughs> numbers of people. I, and, and PAX, PAX is too much for me. That's there. It's too long. many people. There's, there are too many. And it's awesome to see so many games, but my, my favorites uh, by far are uh, GDC uh, the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco and IndieCade. Um, mm. People have asked me uh, pretty consistently whether or not I've thought about making a game, and I'm like, I, I'm not good at not good at making the game. I'm good at letting somebody else do the hard work and then talking about it later. Um, <laughs> but I love that at both GDC and IndieCade, they're spaces where you can have conversations with developers in ways where they're just people you know mm. um you go to you go to pax you go to e3 um there's this like it, it's cool it's the glitz it's the glamour it's the you know the the big displays and the big reveals and those are all really exciting um but for me what i care about in games are the stories that they're selling and it's kind of hard to care about the stories and not care about the storytellers um so i love going to indicate and meeting you know uh, Rami, uh, Rami, uh, Ismail and, um, you know, like there are a number of folks out of the St. Louis scene, uh, Carol Mertz, who I've had on the Intelligame podcast before, who is, um, absolutely fantastic. And just like mm-hmm. seeing these, these circles of people, uh, build up folks who you are used to just kind of being celebrities on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. and you realize they're, they're real people. Um, it gives you this, this real appreciation for the craft and the work that goes into, making a game um you know in portland here we've got a lot of super dope folks uh steve gainer and the fulbright team um mm-hmm. are just like i met them at uh 
yeah, at GDC during a, a GDC party uh, this past year. And yeah, it just, it, it gives you this extra layer of appreciation. So um, those are, those are my two super strong ones, but I mean, E3 is good. Uh, TwitchCon was actually really, TwitchCon is going to be real interesting because Twitch is going to be interesting. Um, I'm, huh. I think that they're going to make some pretty hefty switches, uh, you know, cause right now it's a super gaming focused site. And I think, uh, with the growth of Twitch creative, Right. There have been a lot of folks who are very popular in the Twitch scene that don't have anything to do with games. And I think Amazon wants to capitalize on that. So um, I think especially looking at TwitchCon is sort of a this is what Twitch will look like in six months or a year or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. TwitchCon is super cool. But it's also awesome to see people get super hyped about seeing people who you do not recognize yeah. and will never recognize. <laughs> but it's just like, oh, well, they follow them on Twitch and like that person on Twitch makes their life just a little bit better you know um Mm. being a part of that twitch community i've got a couple streamers in particular um llama down under and uh fluffy pancake xo um (laughs) right like i totally randomly showed up on fluffy's fluffy stream fluffy was streaming uh power ranger the new power rangers mobile game that i was super addicted to for a little bit and she just has like the chillest like just mellow voice i don't know what it was i was like i just i just have work to do right now so this is nice to have in the background and it turns out her community is super uh super dope i'm sorry i'm, I'm running long on this answer but no, now that no, i've started no, no, no. now that i've started i must finish um no 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 so the what has blown my mind about twitch and why i really enjoy it is because it you know people always say and i was one of those folks who was just like why would i want to watch somebody play games like Mm-hmm. If I was going to, if I, I've got games, my backlog is as tall as I, my backlog is taller than I am. But, um, <laughs> you know, like if I was going to do that, why wouldn't I just play a game? But it's the community that builds up around a streamer. It's like being able to hang out with friends, but then also being able to do whatever you want to. Like, you know, anytime you hang out with friends, you got to pay attention to those friends. But now <laughs> you could be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm hanging out and we could chat sometimes. But I can also do work or read Facebook and it's not rude, you know. Um, yeah. Also, you a, can ban someone. Yeah. Like if I could ban people <laughs> in real life, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> like if they were in my face and I could just press a button and they disappear. See, see, I wouldn't even if if it were real life, I wouldn't even use the ban button. I would just mute them. I just put them on like <laughs> 60 second timeouts. So it's like you're going to sit here and say something dumb and I'm going to let you get to write that point and then just like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Wallstormer has muted you. You can resume speaking in 51 seconds like can you, that would be dope. It was like, yeah, you could walk away if you want to. You don't have to leave. You just have to shut up like I would love that. Oh man. Okay, so what what has been cuz again, like going to conventions at this point in the game when you you've got a site up. Yeah. You have folks who know you and and are and are paying attention to your work. Ha, have you had the the fan the fanboy moment at at a at a show? Have you gotten to meet someone that you really were like if I can meet this one person, I can die happy oh. and then chat with them. Oh man. Have you have you had those? <sighs> Okay, so um, I did a, an interview with uh, Suda Fifty One. Oh, nice! Uh, he's a dope. So Killer Killer Seven was one of the first games that just like blew my mind, um, and it was just like 
Uh, so Killer7 is a, a, I played it on the GameCube. It also eventually released on PS2. But I, I just say if you if you didn't play it on GameCube, you're not a purist. But um, <laughs> so Suda51 is this sort of like kind of kind of wacky, kind of zany um, developer who ended up starting this studio called Grasshopper Manufacturer. And um, there are some things that happen in Grasshopper Manufacturer titles that are not super cool. I mean, like sometimes <laughs> the way that they like treat women or handle violence or whatever is kind of kind of not great. But um, but man, the creativity that just came out of and, and the darkness, honestly, I mean, to hold a GameCube controller and to play a game that is like dark and is about like assassins and this like element of the paranormal and it was cell shaded and gritty and just like it, it was amazing it it still blows my mind and so um i i had an opportunity to uh to interview suda 51 and he and he spoke through a translator um and i i i totally i i fanboyed hard <laughs> i was i was trying to be this real professional journalist interviewer or whatever um, and it was just, it was a mess. Um, but it is, I mean, it, it is the, it, it, it feels like it's, it's one of the advantages of, of working in this field is getting to meet some of those folks who are your heroes and, um, and to learn about the ways that they're just like people. I mean, you know, he talked about, um, this game that was getting released over here in the States called the silver case. And it was the first Grand Hop, Grasshopper manufacturer title and they were just finally translating it in English and, and releasing it in the West and he was talking about how like it was he was really proud of that work because it was the first time that like he this was his first work in his first studio where he wasn't being held back by the um, by like the restrictions that mm -hmm. came from the work that he was doing with other uh, with other companies and it was just like I don't know something about hearing that in person, you know, from somebody who you who you have is um, more of a theory or an idea in your head, and you realize like, no, this is somebody who went to work, you know, over forty hours a week, and was just like, I just really need to get out and do this thing that I care about. Um, yeah, it, it's awesome. It's super awesome. It's really hard to like go through one of the and not feel super energized. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I love the point that you made about like realizing that that you know a lot of these you know people in the industry you know they're they're just people you know and that's mm. what I love about conferences like GDC is that people are very like relaxed you know um, and you and and like you get to see people that you fan over fan over other people you know yeah. so, so it's just like this big love fest which is awesome because making games is really really difficult you know yeah. it's, it's 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 like not only from a technical perspective in terms of the actual programming but also just you know making these huge massive games and quality testing them and getting them out in time for business objectives and all that stuff you know um so so yeah i've i've definitely felt like every time i've gone to a con and just seeing people just smiling and just talking to everybody and like just having a great time. Like that's definitely one of those. Um, I haven't really seen it as much in other industries as I've seen it um, in a game. It's like definitely something that, you know, I've noticed and, and like I've really loved about, uh, you know, being able to interact with uh, different people. 
Um, now, um, I, I, I want to um, talk some more about your, your uh, sh- streaming experience. Sure. Um, so we've had Andrea um, and a few other folks on the show that, you know, have been streaming for a while. Um, what are some things that you wish you knew when you first started streaming that you know now? Sure. So um, I'm, I'm a relatively new streamer. My audience is still pretty small. And so there are a number of things that I, I'll admit there's a lot of information that I've been able to get by going to TwitchCon, by like watching other people's stuff that I was able to implement before um, before I got started. Uh, but as uh, actually Khalif would probably be the best one to tell you, like when I first started streaming, I was, <laughs> I was garbage. <laughs> it was just, uh, so Khalif was on uh, Intelligame did uh, Intelligame did the Extra Life fundraiser. And uh, I was doing a setting up for this 24 hour live stream and I was um, setting up at the uh, the outpost, which is the old uh, XOXO co-working space that closed this past December. Uh, by the way, shout out to, to Andy Bayo and Andy McMillan and the rest of the outpost crew like that was um, I say it all the time because I mean it like that was a that was a life changing experience. I was shout out to the Andes. Yeah, it was just yeah, really, really good folks. But. Um, so I was working out of the outpost and I'm setting up my, uh, I'm, I'm setting up my webcam and I got my PS4 and my laptop and I've got my streaming schedule that I put together like five hours before I started the stream or something. <laughs> and, uh, so Khalif shows up cause he's, he is at the, uh, the second segment. So he's, he's, you know, coming in for kind of the, the big, like the opening podcast. And then he was going to stick around and do some co-op with, uh, with Yuri Kovichko and I and me. And uh, I needed to do my scene change. And so he, Khalif sees me stand up and grab this <laughs> old busted dry white or, you know, whiteboard marker and start writing be right back on this whiteboard and move the whiteboard in front of the webcam because I had no idea how to like set up scenes or and I just didn't think about any of this stuff. So I, it just looks super bad. And like, and, and Khalif being like totally, you know, smooth and mellow about it was just like, Hey, do you, you have like an image? Like you should, you should send me an image and I'll, and I'll help you out instead of what, what I feel like was happening in his head or what would have been happening in my head. Like, are you serious right now? Like, this is, (laughs) this is, this is bad. So, um, so yeah, uh, stuff that I, I wish I had known, uh, was that. Uh, you should probably do your research as to how to make your recording software work before you decide to do a 24-hour live stream. Uh, doing some <laughs> practice is good. Um, also, like, honestly, like, having a mod team, like, I, I still need to set up a moderator team. Uh, but having folks who, not even just, um, not even, like, the, oh, you know, let's kick out the trolls or whatever, but just people who, like, will show up to your streams consistently and talk with you. Um, you never know if somebody's going to randomly pop into your channel. And if you're talking to nobody or if nobody's there, then they might leave. But having a moderator or two who are willing to like come in and hang out, just hang out with you for a couple hours every Thursday or whatever, um, can make a real big difference in channel growth. Um, and frankly, just making sure you don't go insane, you know, just randomly playing a game with nobody there. Um, that, that can be really difficult. Yeah. Um, that I, stuff is hard. It's it's <laughs> hard. Like, 
being a being a like a strong streamer is not a it, it's not an easy task. Um, my co-organizers for Twitch PDX, the Axiom, and uh, and Awesome Hylian have been streaming for a long time, and uh, and you can see like in different ways that they implement things how how they have adapted to uh, to the Twitch climate. Um, but it's also like the cool thing about running the Twitch group is that like when you meet new streamers and they're just like killing it and you're like, oh man, like that's, that's super cool. <laughs> uh, barely casual, uh, B E A R L Y casual. Um, she, uh, just moved out here with, uh, Johnny Doe, oh, Johnny Doe show, um, from Atlanta and they joined up in the group a couple weeks ago. And it, there's just always that like weird thing where if somebody's new to your group, you assume, uh, Oh, maybe you just don't know what you're doing or whatever. But like <laughs> I watched, I watched barely casual stream and she killed it. Like she was super energetic. She like had her, like, uh, her subscription stuff set up. Like it, and it was just exciting to watch. Like it was one of those mm. where it's just like a cool community. And that's where that would be my other recommendation if you know they say that if you're going to be a good writer you have to read a lot like if you're going to be a good streamer you've got to watch streams and it's not just like that it that it's that background background processing of information of learning like oh wait a Mm. second i didn't know that you could put this overlay here oh wait a second i didn't think about filling the blank space in this dialogue with this oh i didn't realize i actually really don't like it when somebody you know, throws out a bunch of swear words for no reason, like those kinds of things that help you better understand your craft so that when you go on and stream, it it is just naturally easier because you've thought about it already. So. Mm-hmm. So so one of the, the interesting conversations we had early on was, hey, I'm black. You're black, too. <laughs> and, and hey, we're in Portland. High five, There's not a lot black of black people. Hey, black friend, pow, <laughs> really, <laughs> and and doing that, having that conversation while being here in Portland, while also trying to figure out if there was a gaming community here, I'm sure it was pretty interesting. I know that you have been kind of entrenched in multiple parts of the Portland scene. Mm-hmm. Um, are there are there any folks that 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 you feel are are really doing well here? Do you see if there's do do you know if there are any kind of minority represented um, groups out here that are doing anything specific. I know that there may be some in the fighting game community stuff here, mm-hmm. but I, I don't see a lot of brown gamers here. Are, are you are you getting any word from any of the groups that you're talking to or, or hanging out with that that we're here in in, in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. So um, BetaCon was this past uh, this past weekend, and uh, it was a uh, first year game convention that was uh, taking place here in Portland. And uh, I wrote up an article that was, um, I, I hope it was, you know, um, balanced but critical. Um, I really did enjoy the convention, but I also thought that there were a lot of ways that it could have um, taken some stronger strides to, to work towards handling some of the issues that we have in our, uh, you know, in this industry with diversity and inclusion. Um, anyway, if folks want to read it, they should, because that would make me happy. Uh <laughs> <coughs> But I, I also think that, um, you know, there are organizations out there that are trying to do good work. Uh, Portland's got this reputation for being the whitest city and whatever. And the fact that, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of black and brown people here. I'm like in Hillsboro and Beaverton in the suburbs. But like mm. they're not there aren't a lot of situations in sort of the like 
upper crust socialite whatever that happens in portland where it's like we go to brewery tours and whatever like those are not (laughs) typically situations that are uh, for some reason they don't seem super appealing and so i've gone to um epic gaming i think it's called down in um just outside of milwaukee um and i'll see black and brown folks there and and fighting games seem to be you know fighting games and sports games seem to be the big places where you kind of naturally draw our folks out of the fold and a lot of Mm. folks did show up at BetaCon, and i think it's because they had a smash melee and a street fighter 5 tournament and because it was also super affordable it was like 12 bucks for a day pass and Mm. it's really easy to get to with public transit so like it wasn't a particularly exclusionary situation i just wanted there to be more opportunities to bring those folks out um i do think that there are um there are organizations out there that are not directly gaming connected that i think are doing a good job of trying to give people of color sort of a a rallying spot um open signal is is Mm -hmm. killing it right now um they were they rebranded from portland community media um, and uh, particularly Andre Middleton, the uh, director of uh, was it digital inclusion, I believe it is, yep. um, is like just is like you know we've got these professional resources, you know like high grade cameras and microphones and you know TV studios like make content and like let's get our people in here um, to make things that are relevant to them like that is been super awesome and uh, and i'm really thankful for uh for the work that he and the rest of open signal have been uh, have been doing also um the lab if you've heard of them uh it's a meetup mm. group called the lab uh maxine uh oh man i'm forgetting my i'm you're gonna have to edit this because i'm gonna look up last names <laughs> i hope you can. i edit i edit no, no, there are no edits all- I all this all stays in. Oh no! See, that's the problem with like being on a recording or something like that, where you're just like, no, I, I totally know all my stuff, uh, but I am horrible. <laughs> I mean, with names, everybody, man. Don't even worry I'm about terrible it. Terrible. Yeah, names. don't worry. But anyway, um, but yeah, so um, the lab is a um, is a meetup group run by uh, Maxime and Stephanie Paul, and. Um, they are like specifically putting on events to find communities uh, to to basically create a community for people of color to like come together and meet each other and um and they're doing stuff like going to you know going on hikes and going on you know and going on brewery tours and whatever like the things that people come out here to do in portland um but are also saying like hey if you want to be around other black folks while you're doing it you can do that <laughs> with us so um that is super dope um, and yeah, I mean, like, you know, there are folks out there that are, that are making a good effort, but those are, those are a couple of the places that I've been tied into that, um, have been really helpful for me, even just to kind of give that heads up, like, yeah, we're out here. And, and mm-hmm. to be honest, you know, again, you know, in many competitive, uh, fighting game scenes, I would, I would love to get a better handle on what's happening in the fighting game scene out here. So, yeah, it feels like Northwest majors up in Seattle, I think it's in Seattle where it happens is like the closest big tournament that we have here. And then wizard world will come through right. uh, from time to time um, and do a little bit of things here and there. But it, I, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like I know where to go to get my, my blackness fix besides the barbershop. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I could use this fix, but it's, but it was funny. So I was in, I was in the chair like a month ago. 
and was like, all right, cool. So where do I go to see where the rest of us are at? <laughs> and the sister who was cutting my hair, she was like, I don't even know. And she was a native. Mm. And she was like, she was like, honestly, I don't even know. Like where, where, where are we supposed to go and find each other to go hang out? Like I'm used to there being like, even if it's like somewhere else that's like far out, like the one in the cut spot right. that people go to whatever they have their black people night, you know, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Wednesdays are black people night. And then Thursdays and Fridays are plaid and beer. <laughs> <laughs> but you at least know the days that you can right. go and like, chill. Well, uh, and I, it I doesn't mixed even up feel the like T and the TH. Was it Tuesday or Thursday? Because it was a bunch, the, of, the, 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 bunch the, of white <laughs> people in beards right now. That was not what I expected. Um, it was like, no, that T was for tweed. That was, that was, <laughs> i I mean it's it's difficult because like you know for for all of the the progressive reputation that portland has today um you know you kind of can't you can't forget the history that portland has right i mean like this is a this is a city and a state that was in in no small part you know, a, a cornerstone of its existence was the exclusion of people of color, particularly black people, you know, like. Right. Um, and so I think that though there are a number of folks here who have moved in, you know, I mean, I, you know, practically everybody, practically nobody is from Portland. Right. Um, but there still are those, you know, the institutionalized removal of wealth from the community. Um, you know, all that money that like North Portland's a hot area right now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in it. Um, but I'm not, I don't mm-hmm. own a house here. I, you know, the folks that I know who do own houses here, then most of them are not people of color. Um, and when you have, you know, put together policies that have displaced a community multiple times, and you've removed that opportunity to have that institutionalized wealth, you know, even just the idea of, if your grandmother has a house that's paid for and something goes wrong and you have to move in with your grandmother, well, your grandmother isn't worried about paying a mortgage. You're not worried about paying a mortgage that in, in this city can be twelve, fourteen, sixteen hundred dollars a month that you don't have to worry about. But when you're talking about having to pay rent time and again, you don't have those opportunities to take those risks to develop the businesses, to start the barbershops, to start the clubs, to start the, you know, to start those things that become those um, those centers for for our culture and for our community, and so um, I think that's that's why it comes down to, to places like Meetup and to groups like uh, like mm. Maxims and Stephanies, where it's like, all right, well, you know, if we don't have um, if we don't have the the business and the businesses are out there, like, like let's let's be clear, there are you know black owned businesses in Portland, and like there there are people out here mm-hmm. doing work and and um, but if it's like, all right, well, if we got to get to folks like we've we just got to find places and we will coalesce wherever, you know, we will find a way to to reinforce that group. I just, um, you know, it's a whole lot different. We're like back back home, back in Rockford, you know, west side of the bridge. That's mm-hmm. that's where. Yeah, well, and it, you know, it's the west side of the bridge because, you know, the white folks fled to the east side of the bridge. And so, like, <laughs> um, you know, if we're if we're real, you know, I'm just like one day Rockford city limits are going to extend to Chicago because white people will have fled <laughs> so far east that we will become a suburb. Um, yeah. But then, yep. uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, I, I think that's just how that works. And it is frustrating to see 
in a city like Portland. But I, but it's also refreshing to see people who care about that out here too, mm-hmm. um, and that there are folks who want to make a difference, and there are you know white allies out there. Um, and people from across the spectrum who were like, this is a problem. This is, this is not something that we want in our city. We want to find these ways to bring balance. Um, Oregon Storyboard uh, is an organization that is working to not only provide um, the tools to experience VR to communities of color and to marginalized voices, um, but also to provide them the instruction to create experiences in VR. And we're talking, you know, I mean, creating games in VR is just going to be the tip of the iceberg because as this mm. technology takes off, like those are going to be, that's going to be money. That's Those are going to be high paying jobs. And if we can get those skills into these marginalized communities, not only can we make the media better, but we can also like give people an opportunity to get in on some of that tech wealth and be able to start making that restoration and creating those those cultural touch points in the community. Um, it's it's exceptionally critical. Uh, Shelly Midthen is the uh, the director over at Oregon Storyboard, and it's just every time that I've heard her talk about this, I'm just like, you get it. You are you are an ally <laughs> who gets it, and I'm really excited i'm hoping to get her on the uh the intelligame podcast when it when it comes back up but um yeah this is this is why it takes me so long to answer a question because i ended up answering five <laughs> questions and people are out here like that was i supposed to take notes professor boykin is that what's going on here like is there a test well well here's here's an easy way to slow everybody down and to let you compose your thoughts for the next <laughs> round of questions is what we'll do is we'll take a quick break. Uh, we'll let everybody cool their heels. We'll let everybody rest their pencils and put their pencils away for now. Uh, and we'll be right back after this. What's up, y'all? This is Sharif Jackson, host of Gaming Looks Good, a YouTube series where we focus on diversity in video games, race, gender, and sexuality. Check out the full archive of videos at GamingLooksGood.com. Yo, yo, what's up, y'all? This is DMC in a place to be, the greatest MC in history. And the only place for me to ever be is right here with Spawn on Me. Rah! All right, everybody, we are back from our break. This is episode 160 of the Spawn on Me podcast. We are rocking with Josh Boykin from Intelligame. He's dropping knowledge and truth in both of your ear holes. And uh, word, it's like a Hadouken for both of your ears. So. <laughs> Minus the thumb blisters. Minus the thumb yeah, I do not want to get a fireball absorbed directly in my ear. That sounds very, very painful. Unless but it's good for earwax. Ear. Yeah, it's good for swimmer's ear for earwax. It's, it's, good. it's good for either or. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. um, we're going to dig into some news of the week. And uh, we have two really cool stories that popped off this week. Um, one from our friend Ben Cuchera over at uh, Polygon, who we gave a little bit of. We roasted him a little bit last the episode before last, and now we're giving them some love. So, see, we're equal. We're fair and balanced here on, on, on Spawn <laughs> on Me. Right. Uh, uh, um, so, there is a rumor that to the, the replacement for the NES Classic Edition that went out into the world and caused firestorms and everyone and their mama went and bought one and kids were trampled in Kmart because of it is now discontinued. So that's no longer going to be sold, at least for the oh, foreseeable oh, it'll future. It'll be sold on eBay. 
It'll be sold on eBay. I heard there was a story about that too. That there was like people are walling out. But to replace that, there is a rumor coming out of Eurogamer saying that an SNES classic version is going to be put into the market. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this and pose the question to both of you. Do you think this is gonna happen? For one, and two, what are your thoughts about that? We're gonna start off with you, Reef. You 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 go up to bat first. Um, I th- I think it's about a 50-50 chance it'll happen. Um, I really do believe that Nintendo pulled the classic because they just couldn't handle the uh, logistics of making that and pumping out all these switches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't. So I think coming out with another product, unless they refine their processes or something like that, would run into the same issues. Um, I also think that there's more people that have a nostalgia kick as, as especially people that haven't gamed in a long time with the yeah. original Nintendo as opposed to the Super Nintendo. So I think that the Super Nintendo would sell to a smaller market. Um, mm-hmm. So I think if they do make anything, the NES would be the one t- to do. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think there's about a, 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 a 50-50 chance. Um, if it does happen though, I just hope that they're honest about what it is. Because mm-hmm. with the NES Classic, you know, their most recent statement was that, oh, it was a limited time item, you know, um, it, it, it was holiday <laughs> specific, um, even though they never really said that at all at any time like before. So I hope that they're at least honest about if it's going to be a limited run, um, you know, or uh, something like like that. If it does come out, um, you know. As as long as they can keep the Switch stuff coming, I'll be happy. Um, I probably won't get one because, you know, n- number one, I'll have the virtual console on the Switch. And, mm-hmm. and number two, like the NES Classic was so hard to get that I wasn't willing to go through the the hoops of people that were like, you know, calling <laughs> up Walmarts and, 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 and lining up outside of the, the stuff. And I don't think you could really pre-order it or anything like that. So you, so you mm-hmm. really had to chase it down so like it's not really i think um you know meant for me but i mean i mean more more power to them if they come out with them as long as it doesn't affect the switch stuff i think i'll be happy that's greedy reef you're like as long as it doesn't affect my life (laughs) that's right then i don't care about all that other stuff josh josh what are your thoughts about about the potential of there being a retro nes a retro snes in the market so i mean snes was my baby that was that was my first console. I you know the the retro uh, NES came out, and I was like I'm, I was down with it, but um, man, I just I'm just imagining holding that exceptionally not ergonomic Super <laughs> Nintendo controller again. Like I'm just so used to controllers like fitting my hand, and this thing's just like no. How do you feel about holding a plank of wood, except smaller? With it was a it. bad controller. T- that controller was awful. Oh. Well, I mean, like at <laughs> I least loved it's not. It. If, if I somebody, loved it. was an awful controller. I think about basically. I, I think about controllers in terms of their frisbee potential. Uh, so if I were to throw <laughs> this controller like a frisbee, how much damage would it do? And most controllers have curved edges. So I think the worst one is the is the regular Nintendo controller because that thing had like sharp corners on it. So I, you, know, you throw <laughs> it and it's like a ninja star. It like sticks in the wall. But, or the PS4 battery. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, 
<laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I do think that there's there's something powerful about nostalgia, and, and Nintendo knows it because Pokemon Go made a ton of money, uh, because they could not keep NES classics on shelves. Um, I'm wondering just what IP are you gonna use if you do drop a SNES classic? Um, mm. You know, a lot of the games that are, I mean, obviously, like you'll see a link to the past on there. You'll see um, Super Mario World. Hopefully, uh, Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. Uh, But some of those games that are like really, um, really clutch titles on there um, are third party. So, you know, Final Fantasy 3, Final Fantasy 4, or I'm sorry, Final Fantasy 2, Final Fantasy 3. uh, I don't know, Super FX weird hypercar racing 3D thing. You yeah. remember that one? <laughs> yeah, F Zero. Pretty something. sure that's exactly what was written on the cart. Um, Act Racer, <laughs> Donkey Kong Country. You know, yeah, there's, yeah. There's you know, um, yeah, Donkey Kong Country for sure. Um, Donkey Kong. And by the way, um, as much as I didn't get it at the time, the Donkey Kong Country is Donkey Kong Country Two. Yeah. And anybody who says otherwise is looking for a fight. Ooh. Oh, uh, snap. So that's brought the ruckus out of, out of Josh. That's where it I'll goes. Beat you. Um, uh, I'll UFC you. I thought, you I thought it was DKC3. DKC3 has better mini games, but DKC2 is is uh, is the truth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see it happen. I just honestly, um, I, I will admit I'm a I'm I'm converted. I do want a switch. I'm not going to go through the crazy legwork to get one while they're rare on the shelves. I'm hoping I'll be able to pick one up maybe Q3 uh, before the big Christmas rush. But um, I'm kind of the same way. Like maybe maybe the reason why they had to cut the NES consoles is because like the NES and the Switch both go out of like the same factory. And there's like one <laughs> dude who like hand <laughs> stitches <laughs> something into like every – he's got like this logo that he like – like he's the only person he's got a trademark on the little mushroom symbol and they have to like stamp the mushroom symbol on some chip on the inside so he's the reason why you can never get wheeze until they you know whatever because dude's just like nah i take my damn time it's too hard to get these wheeze out i can't do it (laughs) there's like one guy like in a mario suit like a real (laughs) non-fitting mario suit just like damn it I just want to go home. It's a me. <laughs> I just want to go home and see yeah. my family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, I, I yeah, yeah. I, I do agree with you, Josh. I really do think that they. I mean, not that there's one guy there, but I do. <laughs> but, 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 like, I do think that. Yeah, I, I think that they just weren't ready, and I think that they were admittedly a little conservative because they made a whole bunch of Wii U's and. And I'm sure they lost a lot of money I as, as wish they just had sort lo- of stood in their factories. So I like lost my money. Yeah. So like I think that like they were like, hey, like we'll just make some of these and like see what happens. Oh my god! Cancel! 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 <laughs> you know that would be hilarious. So yeah, I I I don't know. I hope this is my hope for the the retro SNES is that every copy of the console comes with a mini disc that a Sony mini disc <laughs> that that has MC Smooth's you've been played on it <laughs> so that when you buy this console you feel like the asshole that you should feel no. like for buy, for buying this console and supporting Nintendo Ooh. for fleecing Brutal. the fleecing 
I want there to be a PBS special called The Fleecing of America, and it'd be all about Nintendo. I, I feel like if we were going to have a documentary about The Fleecing of America, there'd be a couple other folks who were in line before Nintendo. I don't know. Nintendo's at the top of my list. Make America great again. Get Nintendo out of here. Are you wearing a Get hat? Are you wearing a red hat right now? Oh, no, I, I'm I, now I, imagining I'm a Mario costume that has like the Mario M, and then somebody just like writes AGA after it. Oh my it god! And, like, don't perfect. don't even speak that. <laughs> Why did I even Ooh. say it? Uh, oh god! No Reddit, stop! <laughs> whoever that is on Reddit, whoever that is on Reddit right now, stop that! Don't do it! Don't do it! No, but it's it's I I honestly feel like, and I had a conversation with my, with my boy Brian Austin over at uh, at EA, and and we were talking about because he was upset. He was upset at the fact that. They they did the kind of bait and switch where they shortened the, you know, shortened the production cycle. You know, he really wanted one and was upset and was like, what the hell are you doing, Nintendo mm-hmm. and all this stuff. But I was like, dude. And to everybody else who out there in the world, why are you spending money on this thing? Like, I get the nostalgia part of it. I just don't understand why you don't do like anybody else who cares about their lives and cares about America and just get the ROMs, bruh. Because, because Sistra. Just get the, just, just emulate it. Like everybody else has done for the, for the goddamn forever amount of time. Like these games are not rare. It's weird. Like people don't feel like you can go to Walmart and get a 10 in one pack. that just had the big ass doofy joystick (laughs) and you'll get 90, 90% of these games. Already, why is this such a rush for the nostalgia part when you know that you can get these things for free? Because I, th- I think you're underestimating people that will not want to download an emulator or download a ROM. Like people want a nice, pretty package that they could just plug oh, yeah. in and just play. Like it's, 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 yeah, it's, it, 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 it is hard to imagine because it's so easy for people of our ilk to do it. But but like I think most of the rush wasn't folks like hey I haven't played games in mad long and I could just plug this in and just play it you know um, I, yeah I th- I th- I think that's a strong thing I think it's a strong thing for people I feel like the I feel like products like this are totally made for the folks who buy the as seen on TV stuff in the mall It's like mm-hmm. you know what. Here, here's that thing that you know, that like you iron. said, it's like, yeah, that waffle iron or that that one, uh, uh, that one thing that shaves the hair off your back and it looks like a big ass long, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, like that shit is like the the market is for these people who have decided that they want to be. It's not even a tech savvy question because it's like this. It's it's literal laziness, you know. But- and that part bugs me the hell out of me that Nintendo is making their money off of people's laziness. I mean, I, I do feel like there is there is this element of, like, my my mom and my dad. My uh, The the rumor for a while was that my mom and my dad got married because my dad had an Intellivision and Burger Time. Oh, shit. And, uh, yeah, no, Burger That's Time. That's kind of great. Burger Time's super dope. And, uh, yes, I love Burger Time. And uh, I think there's something about that idea. I mean, I love I, – I have a gaming laptop. But I love consoles because it's just like, nope, I buy the disc and I put the disc in and I don't care about drivers and I don't care about upgrades. I don't, you know, whatever. There is this element of it. 
of, I guess, in that case, laziness that makes me more of a console gamer than a PC gamer. And I think mm-hmm. to that same extent, there are folks out there who like are probably just not that concerned about spending time gaming, right? Uh, but if they had the opportunity and somebody handed them a box and said, hey, you can play Mario on this, they'd be like, oh, that's super cool because it reminds me of whatever. Um, and I think probably there are tons of folks out there who don't even know that they could just, you know, well, I won't walk you through the steps, but uh, <laughs> you know, um, but there are folks out there who don't know that are just like, you know, they heard in the same way that the Wii blew up, right? Like the Wii blew up with folks who did not play games, did not really yeah. want to play games. It just happened to be that, oh, well, I was over... You know, I was over at Tracy's house the other day, and and Tracy bought this new gaming console for her little boy Billy, and they they can swing a remote and do bowling on the television. You know, and it was just like, oh, okay, well, I'll do that too. I think it's just that like natural catching fire of wanting to do what other people are doing. Um, yeah, so I mean, there, there's definitely wasted money in the SNES. What I would love to see is essentially, um, I would love to see Nintendo just drop. A, uh, a virtual console like they called yes. it virtual console and it was on the Wii and it's on the Wii yes. U and then you have to pay $300 for a console that you don't want to use 90% of the software that's on there just drop a virtual console let that play GBA SNES NES games N64 give me a single controller um, right. you know and I can pair up to four controllers and play my 64 games or my Nintendo games or whatever have me download games off of the eShop for three bucks five bucks like do something reasonable like right. I would be about that all day because yeah, frankly be awesome. I would I would rather pay eight dollars and have a you know completely legal copy of Golden Sun that I can play on my TV um, and know that I'm like supporting in some way the people who made it um you know it's it's the same thing that they said with music right like piracy dropped once itunes came out because you could buy songs at 99 cents yeah right because they made it easy and affordable right right exactly thank you thank you for being the voice of reason (laughs) in all of this because i it just drives me mad and it and it i just it makes me so upset because it feels like my friends are getting played. It's like going to the like going to the back of that truck in that alley and being like, "Here's this, here's this PlayStation Four box." And you go home and it's a box full of rocks. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> no, "No one's getting played, man. Everybody knows what they're getting. Oh, it's just a just different valuation. Me. Different valuation. Oh, it just just kills me. It just kills me. But we'll see. If this does wind up coming out, it'll do like it does, like Nintendo does with everything. It'll be gangbusters for yep. the amount of time that it's out." People will get mad that they didn't get theirs, and then the people will have theirs from the resale value market on eBay. Yeah. So if I do get one, it will be just to sell that motherfucker back. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I was going to say like, because that's how I feel about the switch, and I, I do at some point. I, I didn't talk about it earlier. I'm I'm derailing for thirty seconds. Really Absolutely. appreciated that Zeldam episode. Uh, that that last episode of Spawn on me, I had no idea that there was a story that I would care about in Breath of the Wild, and hearing that mashup with uh, with uh, Kendrick Lamar's Dam, I was just like, wait, maybe maybe I do care about this game because everybody was just talking about you get to explore and climb mountains and stuff like that, and I'm like, that's fine, that's what they do in Skyrim, I don't need that right now, um, mm-hmm. but it sounds like there are, like is actual story and like something really intriguing going on in Breath of the Wild, so like super sick putting that together, glad uh, glad to have heard that. 
yeah, it's it's a great game. It's a great game. So, I'm uh, excited to play that. Yeah. I, I definitely still d- that that is my reason for wanting a Nintendo console at this point is Breath of the Wild. Still, yep. I did see I did see an interesting tweet that went out this uh, today that was from uh, uh, brother from the 1099 podcast who uh, Hosea um, who was doing his thing and he was like, so folks who are finished with Breath of the Wild, what else are you playing right now? If you bought a Switch. And he got he, he really at least his responses didn't seem like they were too varied. But knowing Reef, Reef is playing everything there are and anything. On, many on. many games on the Switch that are amazing. Yeah. But I did. I, but when people think of games, the, the the problem is that people only think of triple A games, and, yeah, and, and Nintendo consoles have never quite well since you know since since third parties left. I should say. Like it's never really been like that. Like it's it's like you know it's like mostly like smaller games or like indie games and that kind of stuff and 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 i've been having a blast with the indie stuff and i and i'm still fucking playing zelda man i mean it's You're still playing zelda it, it is i mean i'm not kidding when i'm saying it has cracked my top 10 games of all time list wow, it, wow. it is transform fundamentally transformed how i view open world games like man. it's hard for me to play like I complain about so much shit in Horizon and Mass Effect and games now, like it's 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 amazing. It's it's amazing. Damn, I did hear I did hear really also another great comment from uh, Tony Polanco who said uh, it, when referencing Arms for for the Switch, he was like, Arms feels like the only fighting game where you can only be Dalsum. <laughs> Dawson versus Dawson. Dawson versus Dawson. I was like, that was a great. That was a great tweet. Yeah, yeah, that that is pretty good. That was pretty. That was pretty awesome. Um, speaking of awesome things that are coming out soon, uh, Twitch has now changed or at least tweaked its subscription model uh, to let pe- uh, players stream. I'm sorry, to let streamers and people who are watching their streams pay a little bit more uh, if they want to support their favorite streamer. Um, you know, usually the uh, kind of price to admission, if you are a person who wants to sub to someone's channel, is four ninety nine. But now you have other tiers in which you can kind of give those people some extra money. So it goes up from four ninety nine. You'll have that as the base tier. You have a secondary tier at nine ninety nine. And then if you are a what they call in the business a whale, uh, you get the twenty four ninety nine version of that, um, and that will let you as a partner streamer cake <laughs> <laughs> you will be able to cake and so the cool thing about it is the new uh subscriptions also make it easier for channels to unlock more custom emotes uh in the twitch chat uh the 999 tier counts as two subs uh and the 2499 counts as six subs Woo. so if people you know that's a thing that you'll hear constantly in the twitch community of like all right so once i get this amount of um uh subs I'll be able to unlock the ability to have more more uh, emotes for for my fans and for my folks. Um, there was a great conversation by UGR uh, over in his channel uh, last night where he was talking about, you know, will there be um, some kind of gatekeeping in the respect of prices that will then either, you know, if you're a tw- if you're a twenty five dollar sub. Do you get more things than the four ninety nine sub? Mm-hmm. You know, will there be some gatekeeping to the amount of emotes that you get? Do you get special emotes? You know, there isn't a lot of clarity coming from Twitch currently 
towards the rest of the community and to, towards the partnered streamers who usually are the ones who disseminate all this information first because they get the, the heads up on it. But it feels like this got kind of thrown out, thrown out there to them without a lot of notice. So, um, Josh, what do you think about this new kind of tiered system uh, for, for streamers, especially because I would love I'm, I'm sure the, the folks in your PDX stream streaming group are definitely going to be having some conversations about this. Yeah. So um, Lama, uh, Lama Down Under was talking a little bit about this in her stream earlier. And uh, I do think that it, it poses a lot more questions than it does answers. Um, so I, we had talked a little bit about uh, before the stream about this kind of being an analog to Patreon, right? Where on Patreon, mm. you can donate X amount of money and you get different rewards as a result. But I think that the the fundamental difference between Patreon and Twitch is that um, Twitch really relies on instant feedback, right? Um, it's this idea that, like, when you hit that sub button or when you make that donation, it pops up on the screen and it gives you that validation of, you know, whatever, because the streamer's talking to you and you gave them money or whatever. And so, like, the question is, to me, how how much can you really provide in terms of difference of like what a subscription does between a $5 and a $25 subscription. Um, how do you incentivize people and make them feel like that payment was worthwhile? And also do you, how do you still like sustain your community when you know that there are folks in there who will probably have signified that they're paying $25 a month as opposed to $5 a month? Um, Mm. you know, is there a certain amount of attention that they're going to expect over other people? Um, I've heard uh, conversations from streamers who've talked about how they have somebody who comes in and they're like a regular donor and they kind of, you know, that they might act a little inappropriate because they know that they can get away with that. Right. They're using that money as power. Um, You know, this this may not be as much of an effect in super large whale streamers, you know, um, loading ready run or uh, geek and sundry, that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Because the streamers, the the people who are actually streaming can't possibly react to all of the stuff in, or most of the stuff in chat anyway. Um, but I think in the, it can inherently change the climate of those small to mid-size streams where a person who has that, you know, that little badge next to their uh, icon that says that they donate $25 a month, you know, um, if that $25 a month is like, a 10th or a 20th of what you're getting, you know, on a consistent basis, you, you might really care about that, you know, that $10, that $25 more than somebody else. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting community management that's going to come as a result. I'm glad that they're putting together a method that hopefully will allow folks to be, to make more profit and to be more sustainable on stream. Um, I just really wonder how the communities are going to change as a result. Reef, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really good point, Josh. I really didn't think about that sort of power dynamic. Like if you're a $25 person and like you're like, yo, if I bounce, I'm taking six subs away. Mm-hmm. Like there might be some people that kind of use that to wild out a bit. You know, I, I, I really didn't think about that perspective um, of it. So thanks for adding that. Oh. Um Aside from that, I mean, I think it's great. You know, I I think that, you know, um, as we talked about on previous episodes, you know, a lot of Twitch streamers tend to have to push themselves even after they're partnered and are making money because they feel like the only way that they can really make enough to live off of 
you know, is to do these marathon long hours and these sessions to be able to make like the revenue. Right. So if they can make more revenue with less people um, and possibly mean that like, you know, that like they can make a decent amount and, you know, not have to really push themselves. I think that that's great. You know, um, I think that um, obviously it means that uh, Twitch itself gets like the benefit of like uh, of uh, 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 of like that as well. If like you have streamers that are, you know, kind of more focused on smaller, more engaged kind of communities but like still are making you know like the amount of money that like right now that like you would need you know essentially around six times the you know the uh, amount of like audience to um to really make the the equivalent amount um so yeah i mean i i think it's great um you know i i think sure like there's gonna be possibly some jerks that like take advantage of you know trying to throw their weight around because they're um donating so much money but i think that that kind of pales in comparison to the benefits and i think that that's another thing that hey maybe it, maybe a twitch says hey if you donate if you donate at this level you know we're really going to be looking at your activity and there's going to be a lower tolerance you know if you appear to be you know kind of bullying or like throwing your or or like throwing like your weight around and that kind of stuff so like that kind of speaks to some of the 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 uh, moderation and the balancing that we've talked about that uh, Twitch could could potentially do to help the, make their space you know a, a safer space for um, especially for you know for for uh, minorities especially women um, you know that are streaming on the service so um, all in all I'm I'm positive on it I can't wait to see people that I love you know be able to make make more money and you know and be able to you know to like do what they love to do and I, Word. I do think there's a, a certain element of like it, at least from what i've heard again i'm still relatively new on the scene but twitch as a twitch as a company doesn't seem to have a, a great reputation for getting in and handling these things like they seem to kind of be leaving it to the individual like streamers and moderating you know moderator teams and they have you know thankfully been developing more tools to help with that um automod just rolled out recently so that it's like easier to um, you know, try and, and stop toxic chat, that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I do think that like streamers are really going to have to have this like thought with themselves to be like, okay, like I know this guy's throwing $25 a month at me, but I still need to treat this dude like he needs to respect, you know, and I'm throwing in he because I'm making some assumptions, but like, um, you know, still need to make sure that they're respecting the community that they're a part of. And I do think that that'll be the exception more than the rule. Um, but again, to, to quote Lama's stream, because I was just watching it earlier today, um, you know, her community is exceptionally, ref is really refreshing. Like there's not, it doesn't seem like they have a ton of moderation going on or whatever, but it's because they have uh, what she calls a low tolerance for bullshit. So, like, so when somebody steps, it. like, a little bit out of line and it seems like, you know, it might be either just sort of a, a misunderstanding or, you know, whatever, like, they're willing to have that conversation. And Lama herself is really willing to say, like, actually, you said this, but I think it's actually this. Like, she doesn't doesn't mess around with that. Um, but they're not afraid to drop the band hammer when somebody gets dumb. So, 
Um, I think there, it might just be some of that too, where folks are going to have to say like, you might be throwing me $25, but if you're going to act a prick about it, you got to go and and I'll make that money somewhere else by keeping my community strong. I do wonder a thing that I did, uh, look at when they had their kind of blog post about this, which I found interesting that they did not share. And I guess they don't share that because it's in your partnered contract is the cut that Twitch is going to be getting from these new streams of revenue. And I do hope that, again, like now that I am a part of the Amazon matrix uh, with my with my (laughs) my job job, I get to peek a little bit behind the curtain and see some of this stuff. But it's not much that I'm able to, to, to glean. But the interesting parts that I'm seeing are just like, what is this extra revenue going to do? And it kind of circles back to the conversation that that Josh brought up earlier about when he went to TwitchCon and kind of seeing, you know, some of the the things that are coming down the road of like Twitch Creative and you know how they're trying to position themselves. Uh, what are the things that they're going to be doing with the esports scene now that that's the thing? You see all the stuff that's happening on TBS. Yeah, there's a big H1Z1 uh, uh, tournament happening right now as we speak. That's happening on uh, the CW. So there are. Things that seem to be poking around in that space where Twitch is like, all right, how can we get in where we fit in and how can we bolster ourselves, maybe tech wise, maybe uh, people wise, so that when it's time to throw that extra revenue somewhere, we'll be able to do so and do it in a reasonable way. So I wonder if this is the the, the literal matrix where all our streamers are the batteries. And this and this is what's going to be the thing that fuels the next movement for Twitch. Whoa, dude, so, that's deep. That was mad <laughs> deep, son. I was just really waiting for you to be like, I really don't like these subscriptions because I just want my Switch to be okay. <laughs> I don't care let what, me, how let much me you charge. Subscribe right? As long as you don't fuck with my Switch. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be cool. But but again, it's like who knows what this is going to wind up being for for the kind of future of the the company. But the company is still going extremely strong i don't see anything that is going to stop twitch in the foreseeable future from growing in whatever want in whatever no, ways it no, wants to no uh youtube gaming no beam i don't think has i think honestly beam is an interesting deal though because beam is the first company to see that i've seen get major um major love from directly from a gaming company you know what i mean like they got bought out by microsoft, microsoft and their platform is really fucking cool. Like people don't talk about it as much because Twitch is already the big person on the block, but Beam is fucking dope. Like it's a, it's a very interesting platform, specifically if you like games and you like really quick interactions with your chat. Yeah, it is right. almost bizarre to watch because we're so used to Twitch to watch a stream on Beam and mm-hmm. type something in the chat and have the person respond to it like. Very quickly, it seems like you're like, what? Like, what? Is, mm-hmm. this is not, it's not supposed to happen like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we're so used to the delay, you yep. know, that it's really amazing. Like, they've really solved that technological hurdle. Like, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. Um, I I think if we were to do, I think I think that may be a thing that for the next spawn for good. I don't think we'd do all of it on Beam, but I think for specific games, we might do stuff on Beam. At least I would like to. Stuff that's like, you know, we play a lot of Quiplash and all those things in the in the party pack. You get that instantaneous feedback where people can actually then, you know, pick things in the chat yeah. and do that stuff. So, you know, there there's there's cool parts of, of all that. But Twitch, again, is, is the big person on the block and they seem to not 
be going anywhere anytime soon. Josh, any any last thoughts on this? No, I mean like I I I kind of I agree. I think the the difficulty is um you know, when you're when you're a streamer, where do you go? Right? right? Like if you go to Twitch, like that's where everybody is, but you are fighting again, you know, you're a minnow and you've got you know, giant sharks out there just killing it with the traffic and you know, and consistent viewership. Um, and spaces like Beam are super cool, but like comparatively, they're ghost towns. Um, yeah. You know, uh, both Beam and Hitbox have. I guess what I hear that they're kind of slightly different in their cultures. Um, yeah. But also, like when you look at Beam, so when if I think about it from an IntelliGame perspective, like you look at Beam, and it's just like this electric blue, you know, whatever. Um, Twitch has what had what feels like the most neutral layout. So if I was going to do content that was not um, directly 100%, I'm a super cool Uber gamer. Um, Twitch is the place where it feels most natural because if I want to play guitar, it looks reasonable there. If I want to mm-hmm. do glass blowing, whatever. Um, so I do think that Twitch has kind of got the handle right now on creating content that's not gaming related. And everybody else is just trying to carve their niche out of, out of you know, carve their piece out of Twitch's pie. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see in the upcoming months. Uh, I'm sure that TwitchCon will be purple and popping as it usually is, uh, and everyone will be over there getting drunk and throwing up. Um, <laughs> Long Beach. Uh, Long Beach. That's going to be crazy. Oh, man, in the LBC. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Josh, again, thank you so much for coming through and hanging out with us on this episode of the Swanomi Podcast. Uh, let folks know where they can see your work. Let them know if you have any upcoming events that you're doing, anything that you want people to see, hear, or hang out with you uh, while you do it. Uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, dude. Uh, thank you so much, Reef and, uh, and Khalif. It's been no doubt so cool. Um, so you can find me on uh, on Twitter at Wallstormer. Um, you can also find IntelliGame on Twitter at uh, Let's IntelliGame. And it's Let's Intelligame all over the place. Let's Intelligame on Facebook. Let's Intelligame on uh, on Twitch. Um, let's see. Upcoming events. Uh, Revenge of the Nerd Camp for you Portland area folks. Uh, Revenge of the Nerd Camp is this Saturday. Um, it is. I, I think it's going to be a super, uh, super awesome show. And I'll be on a panel at 5 o'clock. Um, but even if you're not there for the panel, you should definitely check it out. Um, it's going to the proceeds from the uh, convention. Go to uh, Snowcap Community Charities, which is a uh, um, there uh, I believe a, a food pantry, a homeless food pantry. So um, definitely, you know, show up. It's going to be a super cool nerd convention, but uh, it also is going to raise money for a good cause. Uh, let's see, what else do we have coming up? Um, you know, honestly, I mean, the the best way to stay in touch is uh, to like us on Facebook, to like IntelliGame on Facebook. Um, I do, uh, I'm partnering with Freeze Ray Poetry, uh, my buddy Mikkel Snyder over there. Uh, we are going through Telltale Batman. Uh, and Ooh, nice. Yeah, we're hitting up episode two. Uh, we started that a couple of weeks ago, and we're hitting up episode two this Sunday from uh, noon Pacific time till probably about 2.30. Um, nice. And it's, it's a really awesome time. It's just, you know, we have a, a we go through the game. I, it's my first time going through it, and he's gone through before so we you know just have discussions about the uh the different topics that show up and um Mikkel not only you know not only are we both pretty big Batman fans but uh but Mikkel has um you know a number of of just ties into 
um, into the medium. He does spoken word poetry that's often infused with uh, with pop culture references. Some of his work out there is super dope. Um, well, I mean, all of his work is, but there are a couple pieces in particular that just really stand out. So um, I would definitely come and check that out on Sunday. Um, also, uh, planning on attending um, E3 and uh, later on in the year, Indiecade, if I can pull that off. So um, I would just generally keep an eye on Intelligame. Uh, it's Intelligame.us, which is important to point out. And uh, I and just I'm I've been really impressed, humbled, and 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 am thankful uh, for all the folks who have shown support for Intelligame uh, as it has grown. I think that the community that's going to show up is going to be really important. And I'm really looking for, um, I'm, I'm starting to look for people who are interested in contributing as um, as guests to the site. Um, it's been just me so far, but I really would love to get um, voices of other people out there who have, uh, you know, a deep connection with games and game culture, whether it's video games, board games, card games, sport, uh, you know, IRL sports, whatever, um, and are making those connections and want to share those experiences with folks, um, reach out either on, uh, on Twitter, or you can drop me a Facebook message. Um, you know, yeah, just, just let me know. I really want this to become something, uh, something really significant in the industry, uh, like spawn on me is. So. Nah, we do. We suck. <laughs> we suck. We, we suck. Yo, we suck. Garbage. SNES. Anyway, uh, too soon. Too soon. Too soon. We don't even know if it's uh, going to happen yet. That's right. Even if it doesn't, it's still. No, I'm just playing. Um, Josh, uh, again, like your energy, man. Your your professionalism. You you definitely push me personally as a person who knows you and gets to chill with you and hang with you. Um, and, and chat and, and, and kind of go through the motions of like trying to figure out how all this stuff works. You definitely push me to be a better, a better person in this industry and definitely give me so many things to think about uh, after and during the conversations that we have. So anything that we can do here at Spawn and me to help you and uh, in Intelligame grow, please let us know. We want everyone at home who's listening and who's on your, you know, your train, your bus, your plane, Support this man. He's doing really dope work. Share his stuff out. Do what you can to, to, to get him into places that you feel like you need to have good folks who do great work uh, in those spaces. Look out for Josh and, and, and definitely give him some love. Um, Reef, before we get up out of here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to substitute you for Cicero and ask you <laughs> to do the social media business. Sure. In less than 35 minutes, like he does. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So spawnon.me is the website. Um, that's where you can go to find articles. You can find uh, episodes. You can find more information about us. Um, uh, or you can follow us on or, or and and or and slash or. Uh, you can follow <laughs> us on uh, Twitter at Spawn on Me. Uh, Facebook. Our Facebook page is also titled Spawn on Me. Um, and obviously if you're listening to this, you, you are either streaming or down or downloaded the podcast on your podcast reader. So you can search for us on iTunes, um, or the Google play store as well, or on NPR one, because we're there as well. Um, and you can search for one on me and, and find us out there. Um, if you want to send us a email with questions, concerns, rants, all that good stuff, uh, send that over to spawn on me podcast 
um, at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us individually on Twitter, uh, I am at Sharif Jackson, Kai is at Kajakins, and Cicero is at Stubby underscore Stan. That is the business. The business, a little quick uh, post-business housekeeping. Definitely be checking out Reef's Gaming Looks Good series. He's continuing to do super dopeness on that end. Um, if you are a fan of Paragon, we have st- we've hit our tenth episode on Paragon Radio. We got a new super dope logo. Uh-huh. We had Andrea Andrea Renee on the show a couple uh, episodes ago, yes. who was amazing. Hopefully, she'll be able to come on uh, and hang out with us in Chicago. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So check that out every Tuesday. Uh, when that drops so again everybody at home in Chicago, we love you all uh we're going to be heading back to e3 soon so that's a whole other conversation that we need to get up in there and have you all be a part of uh, so let us know some things you want us to cover when we go scorpio will definitely be one of those things that we definitely will be hitting because we are in, in the conference so we'll be there hanging out with gtr folks in the green lights and hanging out and looking salty with paris uh so <laughs> until, until then until next week uh, we will be whole again when Slubby Sand returns. Um, and we will say peace. 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 peace.